something I battle with every, nearly every day. Um, and it's about ideas. Remember I said in my prayer that the battle is for the mind. The battle is not about eternal salvation here in time. That, that work is finished. Christ accomplished that work. His father gave him that work to do and it's done. But what you think about every day, how, you, how do you perceive who God is? Where's your confidence in? Is it in God or is it in your understanding? What you understand should align with who God truly is. That's why we come to church. Um, I'm currently working with a number of folks, not primitive Baptists, and this constant theme keeps reverberating. It keeps coming back again and again. And again. I once fell prey to it. It's a misunderstanding of the sovereignty of God. It's a misunderstanding of the sovereignty of God that whatever happens to you today is the will of God. That simply is untrue. It simply is not what the Bible teaches. There's, in Deuteronomy 29, 29, I'm going to read that clearly because we should understand this because what men will do is they'll read this verse and then they'll begin to tell you exactly what the secret things are. There it is. Let's see. It says, The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those, which, those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So there are things that God has not revealed to us. Why? <clears throat> My personal belief is because we wouldn't be able to understand it. He's infinite God. He's always existed. He has no beginning. He has no end. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are above our ways, beyond our ways. We're not able to comprehend all of these things. But what we are able to comprehend, he's preserved for us in his word. And so when men talk about the secret will and the revealed will of God, there is no secret will. God knows exactly what he's doing, and he's going to accomplish every bit of it. Have you ever asked yourself the question? I I have. If Jesus Christ set up one church, and he did, I'm driving down the road and I'm seeing all these parking lots full of cars in various denominations. Is that God's will? Do you believe that that's God's will, that all these men are teaching different things about our Savior, Jesus Christ? That his work is not complete? That you must do something to gain his favor? You must join team Jesus to go to heaven? Or did Jesus finish his work? We believe that salvation is by grace alone. And that's the truth of God's work. It's the truth of God's work. Secondly, men teach, like I said, that everything that comes to pass in this particular day is the will of God. The reason why I reject that, I used to believe all that stuff. The reason why I object that, I'm going to give you three reasons. And every word should be established by two or three witnesses, Right? give you three reasons why those things are not true. At least you should question if you hold those positions, at least you should question whether that's true or not. I use these on folks because it's important it's important to, if you've you've arrived at a conclusion of what you believe the scriptures teach. These these verses corrected me amongst some others, but I'm going to give you three. Um, 
the children of Israel were told to um, do all the service of the law to honor God and God him only. And in Jeremiah, fairly early on in their existence, they're already falling away. I'm going to read a verse to you. It says this, Jeremiah 32, 35. And they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnon, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire. In other words, they're burning their own children. They're burning their own children as a sacrifice to a fake God. These are God's children. Pass through the fire unto Moloch, which I commanded them not. Which I commanded them not. Where did they get the idea? Didn't come from God. Which I commanded them not. Neither came it into my mind. Neither came it into my mind that they should do this abomination and to cause Judah to sin. So if you hold a position, or you hear someone holding that position, Jeremiah 33, 35, or 30, yeah, 33, 35, is a good verse to at least question yourself whether you're believing something that's true, or is that a diversion from the truth? Just because God did not, um, just because God foresaw they would do that does not mean he wanted them to do that. There's a difference between the two. Sovereignty doesn't mean stopping every evil thing that's going to happen. We live in a sin-cursed world. Sovereignty is able to overrule and overthrow, no matter what comes to pass, anything that gets in God's way. God's able to do that. That's sovereignty. God doesn't need your cooperation. He will bring to pass his will. And all of God's elect will come come to birth, will be in heaven with him, um, of all that thou givest me shall, shall come to me. And that's on resurrection day. Second verse. This is Jesus Christ himself speaking. Men write books on this question of sovereignty of God. And they, to me they're just, I, I was one amongst them, a category. Overlooking clear verses that, that object to that, that understanding. Right? So Luke 13, 34. This is Jesus Christ speaking. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killeth the prophets, and stonest them that are sent unto thee. You think that was God's will? That these people would stone the prophets that were sent to them? Do you believe that this is what God intended for them to do? No, absolutely not. Jesus Christ speaking himself. How oft I would have gathered thy children together, as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not. Should cause you, cause you to pause. Maybe I'm understanding something wrong. Maybe sovereignty. In other words, <clears throat> world battles over free will. Whether we have a free will or not. <clears throat> this, this, these are all tied together. This idea of free will. In the garden, Adam had total free will. Amen. He had the ability to choose right or wrong. Prior to regeneration or the new birth, you don't have that ability. You will always choose to do wrong because you're cursed. You're separated from the the very source of life, which is God himself. You have no spirit of Christ in you. You are dead. But God in his mercy quickens us and he puts a new desire inside of us, a new heart within us, which gives us the ability not makes us, gives us the ability to make right and wrong decisions. 
and we make the right decisions. Now, God can overrule all of that and make you do exactly on that particular day what he wants you to do. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying everything is like God just left it at like a clock and, and wound it up and let it go. But what I am saying is this. The majority of the time, what happens in our lives is because we've made poor choices. It's not God wanting that to happen to be in our life. It is our choices that God's given us the ability to make those decisions. And that's why the gift of repentance is so important. Are we accepted in the beloved or not? Is the door of forgiveness and repentance open to us? Or do we remain in our stubborn mindset and say, I'm not going to repent. By God's mercy, repent. We've got things in our lives to repent of them because he's promised what? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us. First Samuel chapter 23. I'm going to read this more in detail because this takes a little bit more understanding. I don't like using electric stuff, but I have to. I didn't bring my Bible with me. Forgive me, I'm being right. Yes, okay. Now, David is being pursued by Saul. Do you remember this, when, when, when the ladies came out and they sung... Saul was killed his thousands, but David is slain his tens of thousands. And Saul got angry. He became very jealous of David because David was a man after God's own hearts. God was going to bless David and God had already ordained David to sit upon Saul's throne because Saul's a rebellion and wickedness. <clears throat> so Saul was angry at David. He wanted to slay David. He wanted to kill David. He was actually come to the point where he was pursuing David. And so, you, you think that was God's will? It was God's will that David would be king. It was not God's will that, that, that Saul would disobey him. It was God's will that he slay all. And he chose not to. He chose not to. So, here's the, Saul is pursuing David. And, um, get back to that again. And Saul called, this is um, 1 Samuel 23, verse 8. And Saul called all the people together to go to war, to go down to Keilah, to besiege David and his men. So Saul wanted to surround him and kill David. Had him trapped. Now keeping in mind, we're talking about God's sovereignty. We're talking about every single event that happens in your life is ordained of God. It will come to pass. It's unchangeably fixed. There's nothing you can do about it. Okay, that's what we're talking about. This is the topic. And David knew that Saul secretly practiced mischief against him. And he said to Abiathar the priest, bring hither the ephod. And then David said, O Lord God of Israel, thy servant hath certainly heard Saul seeketh to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. So Saul's going to come and destroy this entire city for David's sake. He wants to kill David. 
When will the men, you know, David's asking the Lord in prayer, will the men of Keilah deliver me up into his hand? Will Saul come down as thy servant hath heard? So David gets the message, gets the report that Saul's coming after him. He's going to besiege the city and kill him. O Lord God of Israel, I beseech thee, tell thy servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will deliver thee up. So what do you think is going to happen? Saul's going to come down and they're going to deliver David into Saul's hand. Then David and his men, which were about 600, arose and departed out of Keilah. Did Saul get David? The Lord had just said, they will deliver thee up. So what did David do? Changed the outcome. He made a different decision and he left the city. So when people bring ideas to you, think about those, at least those three verses. There are others. The one that convinced me was one in deep prayer, deep sorrow. And I've shared this many, many, many times. You have not because you ask not. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. When you get down and discouraged, cry out to God, fill me with thy spirit. Come to me, Lord, please. And he will. He's faithful. God bless you. one more verse that I'm going to add to Brother Cook's that uh, I believe helped me understand that uh, God is not involved in our wrongdoing uh, is Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah saying arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. And so God clearly gave Jonah uh, the direction to go and preach in Nineveh and cry against their wickedness, it says, but Jonah. And usually that's where we mess up. God tells us what to do in his word. He tells us what to do in our heart. But Stephen, but Brother Cook, but us. We do our own thing. We want to go our own way. But then God also has the power to bring us back. And thankfully he does, just like a loving father would do. Um, it says, Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish, completely different than where God had told him to go. Now, God finally did bring him back to that point. But Jonah made that decision on his own, not prompted by God to make that decision. Um, have a desire to speak to you. I hope the Lord will bless it for a few minutes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The sister chapter to this is Romans chapter 12. And we encourage you to go home and, and read both chapters. This talks about uh, spiritual gifts. And it's, it's not so important in chapter 12 what Paul is bringing out as to what the individual spiritual gifts are. But it talks about the principle of the gifts, where they come from, how we're supposed to respond to them how we're not supposed to be elevated in gifts that we have, how that we're not supposed to wish that we had somebody else gift, and how that we're supposed to use those gifts for the good of each other, for the good of the body. As Brother Cook mentioned, God doesn't need our help. 
But God allows us to help. He does. He calls us to, but he doesn't need us to. He's glorified in spite of us, and he can be glorified without us. But he allows us to serve him by serving other people, and our service should be a benefit and a blessing to everybody else. And so that's why he gives us these spiritual gifts to use to honor him, but to help each other, to build up and encourage the flock. And and he even gives us the example of a body and how that a body needs all the different parts in order for it to function properly. Let's go through and look at some of the examples here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you want to go home and read Romans chapter 12, it talks a little bit more about this individual spiritual gifts. But there's some principles that are taught right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts. And by the way, some of these gifts that it mentions right here were specifically for the early church. We don't still have some of the same gifts that they had back then, such as speaking in tongues, such as healing. We know who the great healer is and the great physician, and we can go to the great physician, but we don't have the ability in ourselves to heal. We have the direction of laying on of hands, and we have the direction of calling upon the Lord, and we know that the Lord can heal, but we don't have those same abilities that the early church had right here. But the principle of where these gifts come from and how God disperses them is taught here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And in looking at it, I wish that we had addressed this chapter before we addressed chapter 13, which we did a couple of weeks ago, because it talks about... These are good things, but then it talks about the best thing, and that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So we're going to kind of back up just a little bit. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that ye were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. He's basically saying right here, you don't deserve any credit for any spiritual gifts that you have. When left alone and by yourself, you yourself were worshiping dumb idols, idols that couldn't help, idols that couldn't deliver. He says, that's the state that you were in. So as we go through this, we realize that if we have a spiritual gift and if we are a child of God, we do have at least one or multiple spiritual gifts. But he's saying right here, this gift is simply a blessing from God. It's not something we've earned or we deserve. It's not something that we've achieved on our own. If left to ourselves, we are like Gentiles that are carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. So he starts out and he says, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. I want you to be enlightened. And if we're enlightened, then maybe it will motivate us to use the gifts that God's given us. And if you don't know what that gift is, then first of all, talk to the Lord about it. And the Lord will make it plain. And then secondly, you ask the Lord for opportunities to use the gifts that he's given you. Don't be worried about somebody else's gift, whether they're using it or not. You talk to the Lord about the gifts that he's given you. And then you pray for opportunities to use those gifts. And you'll be amazed at the doors that he opens for you to be able to use the gifts that he's given you. And your gift is completely different from those that are around you. There's not any two gifts are the same. Everybody, the group that Brother Cook brought out, the elect family of God, has at least one spiritual gift. Not anyone has all spiritual gifts. 
But everyone has at least one spiritual gift. If they're a child of God, if they've been quickened by the spirit of God, it's almost a package deal. When you experience the spirit of God, God equips you and blesses you with at least a spiritual gift or multiple gifts to use. Let's look at what he says. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaketh by the spirit of God, calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. He's just simply saying that if you call upon Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's not the cause of you getting eternal life. But it's because it's the result of the Holy Spirit touching you and blessing you. And as a result of the Holy Spirit, you're able to call upon Jesus Christ. And if you have the Spirit of God, you're not going to call Jesus accursed. He says right here, he says, Wherefore I give unto you to understand that no man speaketh by the Spirit uh, of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. I mean, to really sense and believe and feel that Christ is the Lord of your life is the result of the working of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's because you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within that you can even call upon Christ and believe on Christ. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but of the same spirit. So what he's saying right here is that all the gifts are different. But the author of those gifts is exactly the same. It's the Spirit of God. God is the one that motivates and inspires. And it's actually God that disperses the spiritual gifts. He, we don't pick those gifts. God chooses to bless each one with the gifts that he sovereignly chooses to bless us with. Our responsibility, our sole responsibility is to pray that God enlighten us to know what our spiritual gifts are, our gift or gifts are. And that our responsibility is just simply to use what God's given us. We turn around and use it and it brings glory to God by using what God gives us. So we can't boast in what we do in using it. We can't boast in in, in obtaining it. We can't say we're better than somebody else. And that's one of the things that he highlights right here. He says there's a variety. There's a diversity. There's not any that are exactly the same. You, Those of you that have uh, a bunch of children, uh, Mark and Chrissy and Ellen and different ones, every single one is different. And they have different abilities and they have different traits. And, and God made them differently. And that's what he's saying right here is that in a church body, in a church family, everybody's different. But even though they're different, they bring they still bring something together that's good for the body as a whole. So here's what he says. Now, there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but of the same God, which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man to profit with all. So. God is not a God of accident. God is not a God of chance. God is a God of purpose. And when he gives you a gift, it's for the purpose of you using that gift. And he says right here that the result is, he says, but the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man to profit with all. 
There's supposed to be a benefit in taking the gifts that God's given you and using that. Now, it's not going to pad your bank account. It's not going to make your house larger. But what it is going to do is going to point the glory to the Lord. I I like when uh, Brother Danny speaks, one of the things that he always starts out when he speaks or he mentions in his prayer, he says, Lord, would you minimize me and would you honor your word and honor our Christ and our Lord? Well, here the prophet is that it honors God and it benefits God's people to use the gifts that God's given us. I want to get down to where he compares it to this, this wonderful working of a natural body that God has designed. He says, for to one is given by the spirit of the word of wisdom to another, the word of knowledge by the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit to another, the gifts of healing by the spirit to another, the working of miracles another prophecy, another discerning spirits, another diverse kinds of tongues to another, the interpretation of tongues. Some of these gifts, as I mentioned, were for the early church. He says, but these, but all these worketh that one and the self same spirit dividing every man severally as he will. Now, if you go over into Romans chapter 12, it talks a bit more about the gifts that we have today within the church of Jesus Christ. It talks about the gift of ministry, the gift of encouraging, and he talks about the gifts that we have today in the church. But here he gives the example and he says that every single one is important, even the ones that we might think are not so important. And he gives the comparison to the natural body. Look what he says. For as the body is one, and it hath many members, even so all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by the Spirit we are all baptized into one body. This is not talking about the water baptism that we experience. He says, for by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, This is talking, I believe, about the baptism of the Holy Spirit upon the child of God who he reaches us no matter where we are. He reaches us in no matter what state that we're in. And he immerses us with his Holy Spirit. He says, for as the body is one and hath many members, even all the members of that one body are many and are one body. So also is Christ. So by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free and have all been made to drink into one spirit. Now, here's where he begins to break it down just a little bit more. And he begins to talk about the function and the importance of every single part within the body. You may say, well, I really don't matter. I don't make any difference to the body as a whole. They can make it just fine without me. My gift is so small. My contribution is so minimal that they could make it just fine without me. That's not how God views it. God views it that every single one of his children have a vital role to exercise in his church. And when everybody's working together, it's just like, I'll say, Brother Compton would use this term. It's like a well-oiled clock that's working together. 
It's like a machine that's in tune. It's like an orchestra that's in harmony. Look at what he says. He says, for the body is not one member, but many. What's he saying? He says that he makes the comparison. He says, we're not all hands. We're not all feet. We're not all eyes. We're not all ears. Everyone is completely different. And by the way, we shouldn't try to make everybody the same. I'm glad everybody doesn't think just like you think. I'm glad they don't all think just like I think. God has made us different. And that's part of the beauty of his church. When we can learn to come together, when we are all different for the purpose of laboring together. And look what he says right here. He says, for the body is not one member, but many. And he gives us just a real simple. I expect Ellen's children can understand this right here. This is designed so that the children, uh, uh, Elson Calvin's children can understand this. They understand just the makeup of the body. And that's how he's describing it right here. He says, if the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body. Is it not of the body? Now, you might think the foot is pretty insignificant. I mean, it just is just down there where the dirt is all the time. Walking on the pavement. It uh, it's not most uh, uh, appealing part of the body. And you might think there's just really not any benefit of the foot. I have a, a, a friend that told me, he said, did you know there's there's over 200,000 nerves in the foot? Sensors in the foot. I didn't know that. I thought three or four, but not not 200,000. I mean, a lot of different sensors in the foot. Do you realize what the foot does? The foot's holding this whole body up. The hand couldn't do any work if it didn't have the feet. Now, the hands are much more noticed and noticeable. The hands are much more compassionate. The hands are much more appealing. The hands are much more consoling. You reach over and you grab someone's hand. I'll never forget when my grandfather was passing away. He would moan a lot. He was in his 90s and he was in pain and he would moan a lot. But when we would reach over and we'd touch his hand, we'd grab his hand. All of a sudden, he was just as calm as he could be. There's a blessing in being able to reach over and touch somebody, to hold their hand, to caress them. And you'd think that the hand is a lot more valuable than the foot. But could you imagine the hand couldn't even get over there if it wasn't for the foot? The foot has a tremendous role. The foot holds us up. The foot takes us to certain places. The foot has some speed to it. There's some direction that the foot can turn and go one way or the other or frontwards or backwards. Yet when we're looking at it on the surface, we might say, well, there's there's not much benefit with the foot. I'd rather be a hand. I mean, if I'm picking, I'd rather be a hand. Look what he says. He says, 
If the foot shall say, because I'm not of the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? He just simply says, there's an important role of the foot. There's an important role of the hand. Then he compares it this way. And if the ear shall say, if the ear shall say, because I'm not of an eye, then I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? He says, if your ear says, I'd rather be an eye. Now, now, if you were having your preference, you might choose to be an eye. You would like to be able to see the things. You'd like to be able to have direction. You'd like to know where to go. You'd like to have some insight. If you were to say that I'd rather be an eye rather than an ear. But he says right here, for the purpose of the entire body, that the ear is just as important as the eye. That the feet are just as important as the hands. He says, he says, uh, if the whole body were an eye, then where's the hearing? If the whole were hearing, then where is the smelling? Hmm. You'd think that's pretty insignificant, smelling. Uh, but now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body as it hath pleased him. I think that's interesting. Now, that sounds to me like that God is in the charge of dispersing the gifts that he gives. I, I, I can look at each of you and I think of the different gifts that, that you have that I've been blessed to recognize. I, I, I just said in the foyer, I, Sister Anita is one of the, the, the best great grandmothers that I know. She's always so upbeat. She's always so positive. She just keeps things going in the right direction. She's always mindful to encourage other people, always sensitive to their needs. That's a gift from God to be a great grandmother and pushing forward in that. Sister Marcia has some pretty special spiritual gifts. When she walks in, it's such a blessing, such an encouragement along the way. I think of those that have gone on that have passed from our congregation that had special, special roles to fulfill. Brother Jackson, just as steadfast as he could be, just as solid as he could be, never said anything bad about anybody. And yet that was a gift that God had given him to set that example. And he was a great blessing for this congregation right here. He really was. I think about Sister Laura, the blessing that she was. How that even though she had experienced many trials and setbacks and difficulties in her life, she went forward serving God and she did it with great joy. And it was her desire to be used of God to bring about joy in your life, to make your life better by knowing her. That's a gift from God. And she used it and God blessed her in it. Well, it, this goes on down and he, he says... Um, he talks about there in, in, in the chapter, he talks about there's some that are less or we might view them as less, but they are equally as important. But he says right here in verse 25, and this is important for us to gather right here. He says that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. You know, that's something that he brings out right here. Early on, I say early on, 
30 plus years ago. God put it upon my heart when I first started pastoring church in Crosbyton, Texas, and also here in Bel Air. I saw in churches that I had worshiped in, in churches that I had fellowshiped with, I saw churches that were destroyed because there were schisms and dissensions and discords that rose up within the congregation. And in Proverbs chapter 6, it talks about there's six things the Lord hates. And then he says, yea, seven are an abomination. And he says, he that soweth discord among the brethren. A lot of things that I may not have gotten right through the years. And and that one may have certainly not mastered it all the way. But one thing that I realize is that God hates discord within his church. He does. It's his kingdom and he's jealous for it. And you'd do well to err on the side of compassion and long suffering than to be uh, associated with discord among the brethren. He says that he says that there be no schism within the church body, within the body. Now, it's important that we exercise compassion and long suffering. Because every single one of us are different. And we come together with different gifts to the body. And we shouldn't desire to have somebody else's gift. But we should desire to encourage them to use their gift. And we ought to use our gift to the very fullest that we possibly can. He also says, and whether one member suffer, all the members suffer. Or whether one member be honored, all the members rejoice with them. He just simply says, when, when there's somebody that's sick, you're moved with compassion. If there's somebody that's having a hard time, then it affects you as well. If there's somebody that, that uh, they're rejoicing, they're going through a season of blessings in their life, then you're not jealous about those blessings, but you're rejoicing with them. You're not saying, why is it that they're being blessed and I'm not? I'm thankful for the blessings that God is putting upon their life. And he says, when we're members together in one body, when one sorrows, we all sorrow. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. We share in that together as a church family, as a church body. I I miss the Epens here. Miss the Epens today. I know Sister Tracy's taking care of her 90-plus-year-old mother, and what a challenge that is, and you should pray for them, and you should uh, pray that the Lord hold her up. They've been through an awful lot. But I'll tell you what, I'll never forget. I'll never forget. And it was such, a, such a, 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 an expression of encouragement. I'll never forget the day that, that uh, Brother Danny told us about Tristan and and the first place that Danny came was here to church that morning. I'll never forget how heartbroken that Danny was in the passing of his brother. And one by one, as you came in, you gathered around and you sat as close to him and you were singing to him and you were praying to him and you were encouraging him. I think at one point we looked up and this side was completely packed and this side was completely empty. That's what he's talking about right there. That you're touched and you're moved with the compassion of what they're experiencing. 
And then you're a blessing. You're using what God's given you to encourage them. And that's what he's talking about right here. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. And God has set some uh, in the church, first apostles and prophets and teachers. And he, he goes down and he talks about the different gifts that he uh, placed within the church. As I mentioned, Romans chapter 12 highlights in particular the gifts that we experience today. Romans chapter 12. But I want to end up with chapter 13 to remind us of something. Not to minimize at all the gifts that God gives us or the importance of using the gifts that God's given us. But he tells us in chapter 13, which can be sandwiched together with chapter 12. He talks about the different abilities that God gives. But he says you can have all these gifts, especially chapter 13. You can have all these abilities. You can have all this knowledge. You can have all this understanding. You can have all that. But if you don't have love, you're missing the biggest part. And he says in chapter 13, verse 13, and now abideth faith, hope and charity. As we mentioned, faith and hope we need here. It's going to end. When this world ends, we don't need faith anymore. When this world ends, we don't need hope anymore. But charity, what you experience here continues on in glory. And he said, that's the greatest thing. So take your gift, no matter what it is, and you pray that God will bathe it in love and then use that gift to his glory. And if you do that, it'll be honoring to God and it'll be a blessing to those that are around you. And in light with what Brother Cook said, I'm paraphrasing this. If you serve God with what he's given you, I'm putting this in my words. He's just going to turn around and bless you for it. He's going to bless you for your obedience in serving him. It'll honor him. It'll be a benefit to others. And it'll be a blessing to you by just simply doing what he tells you to do and what he's equipped you to do. Sometimes we get to trying to do things that we're not equipped to do. Brother Cook brought it out. We're not equipped to help save sinners. It's not our role. No, God does that. I'm so glad that he did it. And that's something we don't have to worry about. And he did it completely. But what he does tell us to do, we ought to do it to the best of our ability to honor him. You take the gifts that God's given you. You pray for opportunities and I guarantee you he'll open doors. He didn't give you the gift that he gave you to be wasted. To be put in a drawer and tucked away. But he gave it to you to use it up. I think about Sister Perry. I I think about the gifts that the blessings that she was. Sister Perry had the gift of encouragement. And she used it. She used it up. She lived to be 104 years. And when she passed from this life, she was still using that gift. She wasn't holding it to herself. 
But she took that gift of encouragement and she used it all the way to the end. And that's what we ought to do. May God bless you.